millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, my beautiful babes. Welcome to another episode of the Podcast with me, Diane Chorley, recently voted the UK's number one most beautiful woman. It's true. And then I'm also sat in our gorgeous little studio in Canvey with Milky, voted recently the UK's number one's most smoothest body. Like a little slug with a little occasional hair somewhere, you know, coming off it like a little chin. Well, I tell you what, we've got a gorgeous podcast for you today. Our beautiful guests we've got, they're going to come on, they're going to tell you something wonderful. At the end of it with Milky, we're going to write a lovely little song about them. But I said there, just make it up on the spot, give them the time of their lives. Now, I've had a bit of a tricky week because I went down to my neighbour's house, Larry Craddock's. He had a barbecue next door. I tell you what, his partner Sheena, Shane Arthur Cook. Lobster tail, she did. Can you believe it? Lobster tail in Canby. Never thought I'd see the day. Cockles, mussels, everything of the past. And the burgers. Oh my God, they were to die for. So juicy. I said to her, how'd you do this, Sheena? I've never had a burger so juicy in my life. She said, Diane, is bone marrow. I said, what? She said, from inside the bone. Well, we're on gagged. I thought I couldn't care less if you get the marrow from its back passage. I'll never eat bird's eye again. I tell you what, these two and a half show-offs, they've got a fridge in the bleeding garage full of condiments, just for condiments. Can you believe it? They had it all in there. Sriracha, hot wing, Encona, spicy, spicy, salad cream, pizza hut, dressing, my favourite. All in there, fridge full of condiments. The barbecue, oh my God, it was the size of a church organ. They could have cooked meat on that for days. Oh, I was sat there in the midday canvy sun, Burn into the crisp, I felt alive. They've got a fire pit. They've got a bleeding fire pit in their garden. Can you believe it? It was off the scale. I said, what's this chunks of this stuff in this salad? Sheena, what is it? it tastes like a blackjack. She said, it's fennel, Diane. I said, well, I've never lived. I've never lived until I've eaten fennel. Well, of course, who ruins it in the end? Milky. Fires a Nerf bullet into the fire pit. Oh my God, the smell. We had to clear out half a candy. Ruined it, he did. Well, I'm not going to get hung up about it. It was a lovely day, ruined by bleeding milky. Now, anyway, today's guest, oh my goodness me, I can't wait to introduce you. But, oh my God, I'm delighted to welcome to the show the beautiful Dan Gillespie Sells. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> welcome, Dan. How are you? Where are you called? Where, where are we speaking to you from? I'm from Hackney. Yeah, I'm in my, um, in my studio, oh, yeah. yeah, which is where I've been pretty much locked in for the last year. Have you got a lockdown? I have, actually, yeah. Yeah, I've got to say, there's a, there's a silver lining to it all. And it's that if you're a writer, you've got no excuse. Just got to get on with it. What, what have you been writing? Have you been writing another musical or something nice like um, that? I have, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's been a couple on the go for the last few years. And, and this gave me a chance to really finish stuff. You know, there's loads of stuff that's needed a bit more work or needed finishing. Or, 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 and I've started a new few, few new things as well. And it's been great. It's been really productive. Well, uh, do you know what? 
I reckon we'll work through that. We'll do a little work in progress section later. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. But what I want to do is proper style. Like, you know, I ain't no Piers Morgan, but I'm also no Parkinson. I'll tell you that. But what I like to do is I like to go back to the little seed, where it all began. I want to know about the little Dan Gillespie cells back in the day, because you didn't have the most conventional upbringing, did you? I mean, I say conventional, but at the time it weren't conventional. These days it probably is a bit more. Tell me a little bit about your gorgeous family, what it was like growing up for you. My mum, I've got two mums. I was raised by two women. Um, and my father as well. I don't want to leave him out of the equation completely because he was a great dad. But also there was these, you know, my mum's a lesbian and, and her and her partner raised me and my brother. And then they had a, a, a son between them as well. So I've got a little brother and uh, we're a kind of alternative family, you know, the kind that the Tories really hated. And <laughs> we grew up um, very much part of part of the LGBT community back in the, you know, I say 80s, really. It was the 80s. Yeah, 80s and 90s. Yeah. And you weren't, you weren't a stranger, were you, to like a... You, they were very politically active, weren't they? Your, your parents, you were always on marches and you were out there, you know, stomping your feet to the beat, so to speak. Yeah, well, it was... That's a poet. Do <laughs> you know what? It was a lovely time. It was, it, was a, it was an exciting time to be around. It was a, in some ways, it was a time of, of great kind of big fights, big battles to have. Um, but if you're a mm. kid and you're, you're on these marches and these demos and these kind of carnivals of, 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 you know, big displays of joy, which is what they were as much as they were kind of battles, they were also displays of joy. So it was actually a really mm. lovely thing to grow up amongst. I really enjoyed it. I had a great time. And you didn't get too much, you know, for some young kids that have probably got a lot of grief from that growing up. Did you get, did you get any grief for the fact that you had, you know, you were part of a queer household and, you know, you had two mums and all that malarkey? Um, I think if I got any bullying, it was because I was gay and I was clearly gay um, myself. Mm. Um, so I got this kind of standard bullying from being a queer kid myself, being a little bit effeminate and arty and whatever, whatever makes you different at school, isn't it? You know, um, yeah, oh, I had cool. that. And I think they knew that I had gay parents, but I don't think they really knew how to bully anyone about it because I think it was so alien and so foreign. I think they also yeah. the kids at school were terrified of my mums and rightly so. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, I've, I've met your mum, and she's she is a tour de force, your mum, isn't she? She, don't, she she's not a shrinking violet. No. Let's put it that. I mean, she's not. to be fair, she's got an OBE. She's a political figure. <laughs> she she's yeah. Also, she's been part of the disability movement. So I think that you know, as a disabled Irish queer woman, I think she knew that that she had two ways of going. You that let the the system drag you down, or you fight and you push back against it. So she'd been pushing back mm. against things for a very long time. So you weren't going to let a bunch of school kids, you know, intimidate her. And did you, <laughs> and did you, was that, so having that background at home, was that like, well, when kids bullied you, sure, did it give you some, some punch back or, you know, did it give you, did it make you feel more comfortable in your sexuality growing up, having that world around you? Because it, it must not have felt, whereas most queer kids, I imagine they, no one in their family they can relate to. Whereas you had all your people, you had your uncle Vince, didn't you as well? He was quite an important That's figure. Right. So you had all these people yeah. around you were championing your cause essentially. So that must have, that must have kind of beat some dysphoria that a lot of queer kids, I guess, have in terms of representation, seeing that around them. I think so. I mean, I'm very grateful that I grew up in the family I did as a queer kid because, you know, we had role models and we had people around us that were very much like us and, and, not like us everyone was different but we were we were i i certainly knew that that there was nothing fundamentally wrong with who i was as a person mm. i didn't I, did, I i found bullying at school hard but um at least when i went home i knew that i was okay 
you know, and mm. I think to have that space to come home to knowing that you're okay and actually um, feeling, you know, legitimate and feeling, you know, that, that you've got a place in the world is really important when you're young. And I can't imagine, it's weird because I can't really imagine what it must be like not to have had that. And I mm. really do think that kids who don't have that have been robbed of something that they really deserve, you know? So mm. um, it's, it, it's hard for me to sometimes relate and I yeah. try to, because I, 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 I've got, you know, most people, most people I've been in relationships with, most people that I've grown up with, all my friends, most of my peers didn't have what I had. So I feel massively grateful that I had it, you know, and, yeah. um, and, and even if, even if they had, you know, even if they didn't have, they didn't have to have gay parents, but just having parents that, uh, that understand you at home is a big deal. It's important. Yeah. Beautiful. That's gorgeous little chat. Oh, I'm loving this, Dan. I enjoy a nice little goes to chat about the past. You know what I mean? It's ever so nice. Now, tell us about your Uncle Vince, though, because he was quite a character, wasn't he, as well? It's one as your mum. She was a character and she's bleeding gorgeous. You can, she's got a bleeding Wikipedia page, even, I think, your mum, hasn't she? She's quite a legend, to <laughs> be fair. Yeah, now, yeah. tell us about Uncle Vince as well, because he's, he's quite a character, wasn't he? Uncle Vince was the first out gay counsellor in, in the UK um, for the Labour Party back in Haringey in the late seventies, early eighties. And and his thing was that he was involved in the whole thing that led to section 28 when they were putting a queer book into libraries in local areas that mm. had access to schools. There was a whole pushback against that. And it was a, it was a big moment because when they pushed back against section 28, um, so when, when section 28 came along, which was a pushback against this idea of uh, uh, having uh, equal, you know, equal, um, opportunities um stuff happening in Haringey in the left-wing boroughs um the Tories really pushed back against that stuff with section 28 and mm. then that led to years and years and years of school kids not being able to be taught about what it is to be queer or gay or and, and leg- them trying to delegitimize gay families like my family so it's kind of I always had a very kind of close connection yeah to that, it's actually. so weird because whilst you were actually living that life it was like they were taking it away from the public eye and that must have been so weird for you as a young kid who was living that like being almost being cancelled in a family that you were happy in, you know, that must be so weird when you're looking at the, the government saying you can't be something that you don't have a choice, but to be and be happy doing it. It must have been weird. It was strange because they, they if you actually look at the the actual uh, thing in the statute books, what it says is, is, is that you're not allowed to promote the idea of a pretend family. Mm. And that's what they thought we were, a pretend family. You oh. know, that, that's, the, that's the language they used. And, and so, and there was nothing pretend about my family, you know, it was a normal yeah. family. I, 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 and what's weird is that actually, thank goodness I was, I was growing up in a quite multicultural part of London as well, because the Indian families, uh, either side from me where I lived, um, in North London, there were grandparents raising grandchildren. There were aunties living in the house with them. There was, you know, the idea of the nuclear family wasn't something which was standard, standard, standard when I was growing up. And there's lots of different versions of different families. And often it was cousins raising, raising kids or, or aunties and uncles raising kids, especially with the immigrant families in our area. So mm. it felt to me like it wasn't just us that were under attack. It was anyone who wasn't the right shape. You know, the 2.4 kids, mum and dad, you know, car in the driveway, white picket fence way of looking at things, you know, that kind of world um, it didn't ring true to me at all. I knew mm. that there was all kinds of different shapes and sizes of families. And sometimes they were disabled and sometimes they had carers who came and looked after the disabled members of the family, or sometimes it was grandparents stepping in or lots of different versions of families out there and and i thought it was it was all obviously all bullshit as far as i was concerned but you know we had you to were fight out there with the banners i've seen the pictures dan it's ever so lovely i love it <laughs> i mean i'm, I'm a so, big round face <laughs> well it's, it may be big but it was gorgeous 
<laughs> I had such a big face when I was a child, and and now I'm missing a, kind of very proud of the pictures. But I was like, I had a massive head. I was one of those children that was all face. To oh. be fair, though, my face. <laughs> we measured my face the other day, and that's thirty centimeters wide. So I'm not someone to talk. <laughs> Honestly, if you put a thirty centimeter ruler on my nose and span it round, you wouldn't tell the difference. You think I had a mask on? It's awful. <laughs> a propeller. Honestly, I've got a big face, but I'm proud of it. Me on a Absolutely. Zoom, honestly. Oh, my God. It's like nothing but a face. It's like, it's like someone's pressing the Zoom button. It's like catchphrase. <laughs> it's like catchphrase. You wouldn't see Mr. Chips in there. You'd have to remove 100 squares to see my face revealed. But how funny that the legacy that you came from and all of that work and activity that you should go on to be such a prominent figure. Well, I don't want to rush on, actually, to, to the musical. This is why I've got to get my timing right, okay? Because I want to go first. <laughs> So let's say you went to school in Hackney and then you ended up, what did you do? Did you always do music or did you end up going to, what What happened? What was the path? What was the journey? I was so, well, I went to school in North London in uh, Southgate is where I went to school. And because um, uh, I was raised in Bounds Green, went to school in Southgate. My dad's house was Barnet. So it was in that kind of caption area. Um, and... Um, School was fine, but it was it was a regular state school. It was nothing special. I had a pretty good music department actually, which saved me, I think, from mm. from it being quite a sporty, blokey environment. I, I didn't suit me very much, but I always had the music room to sneak off to, and I spent a lot of time sneaking off to the music room. And then it got to the point where we had to choose what to do after the GCSEs, and I went down to the Brit School, um, and Gorgeous. it was it was brand new then. The Brit School. It was this new shiny thing. It's kind of well established now, but nobody really knew what it was, and there was a lot of talk of it being this kind of fame academy type place and actually when i got there i realized it really wasn't it but it was a fantastic place to be it was it was it, i went from being the complete freak and outsider in my school to feeling like i wasn't freaky enough brit school had all the freak kids were like in the same building it was wonderful and it was a real mix and also brit school which a lot of people don't realize is is partly from its local caption, caption area and then partly from anyone who wants to come. And it's 50% funded by the local authority and 50% funded by the music industry trust. And, and actually oh. because of that, it's a non-fee paying school and any kids can go there and it's actually mixed ability. So it was, it was uh, all we had to do to get there was to prove that you were interested enough and cared enough and passionate enough about your subject. And then they would let you go there. And it was, I don't know. I found it a thrilling environment to be in because it was a, a very varied ecosystem um, to be creative in. You know, it wasn't just posh kids. It wasn't just rich kids. It wasn't just local kids. Had you kids, started writing everyone. songs by that age and you knew what you wanted to do? I had, I'd started writing music, yeah. I've been playing the piano since I was about five and I'd, I'd been just jamming and stuff. I mean, I'd been writing music. I, I didn't really write songs, but I'd been writing music, you know, and I knew that's what I wanted to do. So, um I went to the Brit School and within a week I'd formed the band and the band really hasn't changed since then. I've been working with the same people since That's I was 16. That's amazing, isn't it? And that is, of course, the most, well, a very, one of the most popular bands in the UK. I mean, certainly in the, you were in your peak in the noughties, weren't you? And you sold more records than me, but definitely, <laughs> but you've sold more records than you can shake a shit at. I don't know quite what was coming out there, but it was lovely. <laughs> it felt nice to say. So when you started the feeling, because as a band, they're pure pop. That's fair to say, isn't it? Yeah. What yeah, are the influences, yeah, the feeling? Like at the time when you were starting the band, was it because you did what a lot of the bands did? You started up a little covers band, didn't you? And that's where you learned your craft of songwriting, just like the Beatles, 
just like Take That or Gary Barlow. You, that's how you got on, you know, you, you, you learned the covers and you was a covers band, essentially, and that's how you came into being the feeling. Yeah, well, we had a record deal really early on um, uh, with Sony Records and it was, it was a development deal and it was, it was very early. We literally just left the school um, and we got this deal and I wasn't the singer at the time. There was a girl who was a singer, fantastic singer called Fahan and, and she's it dead was, now. Uh, it was a different style of music. Fahan is out there somewhere. <laughs> no, I'm um, joking. Hi Fahan, if you're listening, <laughs> if, she's, if she's listening, I hope she is. Um, we, we, we were, we were, we were uh, kind of like a, a pop band and we had this, you know, black female lead singer and a very different style. It wasn't that different from what we do, but it was, it was uh, somewhat different. And um, that just fell apart. And what happened was the, the Fahan got, got, um, picked up by the label and we got dropped. So then that's when we ended up doing covers because we needed to pay the rent. So mm. it was very much a necessity thing. You know, we went and did covers for a few years, but actually we got much better after that. It, it took a few years of of going and playing in the Alps and doing 10 gigs a week to actually get to the point where we felt like we were confident enough to really get the record deal we deserved. And then, and then it was much later on, we actually got the full on record deal. And, the and, and what were off. the like the key bands that you were you were listening to in your inspirations, you know. It's kind of a bit like white pop soul, isn't it, in a in a sense? Do you think that's a fair explanation? I think so. We were a weird mix of weird mix of people, yeah. really, because we all like different stuff. You know, the one thing we all loved, we all loved Queen. And every other band, we all had like our own things that we liked and we all bought our own stuff into the band. And so mm. it was quite eclectic. We were all musos, really, like proper muso record collecting nerds. And we all loved everything. And I think we just tried to mix it all together, really. And the one thing I didn't want to be was was fashionable. I mean, it's one thing I was I was always quite determined not to be. This was the height of kind of um, we were starting to get like landfill indie. And you were starting to get like quite a lot of like kind of just just faux indie, which I really hated, which was like, oh, we're really independent. But they were signed to major record labels. And yeah, it was all really produced, And I just I hated all that. And I didn't like the pretense of it. And I liked the fabulousness of pop music. I wanted harmonies. I wanted prettiness. I wanted all the things that were really the bands were really anti and anything the enemy hated. I loved and anything the enemy loved. I hated. It was very much that, you know, I was being very kind of. That was me. I mean, the boys don't even have the same opinions that I do, but that was me. I just wanted it to be somewhat um, fabulous so that it wasn't just sat alongside all of this grungy, straight lad, blokey rock music, which I couldn't bear. And you, you, do, you do write songs as well that have played an important part of people's lives. And, you know, it doesn't, you know, you can't say that bands that are popular like yours and successful in the sense that they, they get played on the radio all the time. I mean, that's a specific skill, isn't it? It's like a... It's a certain thing, and you can't be one or the other to do that. You've got to be, you've got, you've got to exist in a certain world to have that kind of success and and fortune. People still come and see you now, and they're, you know, in there. I mean, you've done two, you, you know, you did a re- an album recently, and you've got another one coming out. You're still very much in the, you're still making music after all this time, and still selling out big shows. I mean, that's a big legacy, isn't it? That's a big thing. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, you know, you go and do gigs and your audience is definitely getting older. And then and then there's a point in which a whole new young crowd starts showing up and you think, where do they come from? And often it's, it's the kids who were too young to see you the first time around, but they they remember you from when they were five. Mm. <laughs> and they know every word because like when you're five, you know every word. And, yeah. and maybe 12 Stops on Home was the album that they had in the car when they were being dropped off to ice of skating course, on a yeah. Wednesday night or whatever. You know, all that kind of stuff. You realise you're part of people's childhood when you start seeing 19-year-olds showing up at your gigs again. You're like, what? But it, it, it's... You know, what I like about pop music is it is it's accessible. It lets people in. 
And I think it's not, you know, people kind of put it like it's like hooks are really like trying to grab people. And I don't think that's the case. I think people want to be entertained and it's your choice as an artist as to whether you let them in or not. And mm. if you write something which lets people in, that doesn't put up too many barriers, then that's pop music. Yeah. And that could be quite heavy. That could be quite rock. It could be quite sad. It could be solely. It could come from, It could be influenced by all kinds of things. But my idea of what great pop music is, is it's the music that lets you be part of it mm. um, and lets a lot of people just be part of it, whether they're working class, whether they're sophisticated and they listen to a lot of classical music or whether they just love a good pop tune. And I think a good melody lets you in. And that's why I like it because it's generous and it's, it's, um, and then it happens to be that also that's the stuff that goes on the radio and sells well and, and is good for musical theatre shows. You know, that's kind of, that's the, the byproduct of me happening to love that kind of music, you know. <laughs> oh, I could listen to you talk for ages, Dan. You need a little book there where you're getting all this out. Oh, I love it. It's like a masterclass. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? People pay a lot of money for this. I love it. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Okay, so... (laughs) You did that, and you was you was kind of the lead. You was the chief because you produced all of the songs, didn't you? For the feeling, um, we did it as a group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We we produced you have everything gone on ourselves. Because of course, those people who don't know, Diane Chorley's mega hit "Mother Said," which you can hear all over Spotify at the minute. Well, I tell you something. Guess who produced that? Oh my god, it was Dan Gillespie cells. That's why it's so bleeding good. Now. You did a wonderful job producing that. And I'll tell you what, we had a day and a half in here when he came in. Oh, my God, it was gorgeous. I think we even had a pizza. That's the kind of way we're living in this studio. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Have you produced many other people, many other artists? Is that a world that you've ever fancied going down in? Um, no, I, 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 I would do it, but it's quite a rare thing for me to be asked to produce stuff because, you know, I, I, I normally spend so much time producing the feeling albums oh, this is me and the boys as well mm. um and then i produced all of the stuff for 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 all the theater projects and the tv projects that i produce music for so so i tend to be quite busy just doing my own stuff yeah and you know producers there's not that many people who want that kind of authentic because you know live music sound and that's what i do that's the only thing yeah. i know how to do i can't program i can't do beats i can't do any of that stuff i need musicians i need a studio and that's how i work and i don't think i know how to work any other way not really i can do a bit of it but not much and and actually when it comes to that kind of recording that kind of music it's quite rare that people want it Luckily, they want it for movies and they want it for TV sometimes and they want it for very specific projects like theatre projects. So that's what I end up, have ended up doing, you know, is more of that stuff because it, 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 my music fits in that world. And of course, talking about your legacy and the queer legacy in your family and all of that, the musical obviously is a huge, huge was a huge transition. 
well, it, what was it? It wasn't really a huge transition, but I'd be curious to know, you know, about how you made that leap writing music to to writing musicals because they're quite different things, aren't they? Yeah, they, they. Well, I suppose they're not. But well, the thing is, right? They are. The process is slightly different. The process is more involved. It's more collaborative. Um, I'd say that. But at the end of the day, I'm just writing songs, and I love mm-hmm. writing songs. And the songs have to do a very specific job when they're connected to a narrative. And so there's there's quite a lot of more craft involved in it. But it's not fundamentally different from what I do with the feeling anyway, which is write songs, you know, write melodies, write songs. It's it's not that different. I, li- I like the songs in my shows to be like pop songs anyway. Yeah, of course. So <laughs> I people want them can... to be catchy. I want them to sound like they could be on the radio. I mean, that's and that's got a lot to do with its success, hasn't it? To be fair, don't you think? Like your the, think your so. approach yeah, to hopefully. the. Yeah. You know, to the pop to the pop song. But I thought in musicals you had to have like a isn't there like a different set of songs that you've got to have in a musical? Like you've got to have an I want song. Is that right? And then you've got to have like the villain song. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Well, I don't have the villain song. You don't? There's no villain. <laughs> no. No. Well, not really, no, no. I mean I'd like to write a villain song, but in Jamie there isn't. I haven't written many villain songs. I always feel like it's quite hard to get the villain song right because you have to care enough about someone to listen to them sing for you, sing at you for three minutes. Sometimes I go, oh, you don't deserve a song. <laughs> yeah, fair game. Well, of course, you're, you're our mentor for the musical, the Diane Chorley musical that we're writing. Dan Gillespie Sells is, is our mentor and he's helping us out write that, write that one. So, and I'll tell you what, there'll be a villain or two song in my one. I'll tell you that. I love a villain song, me. I mean, look at me. Oh. <laughs> You know, everybody's talking about Jamie, the musical. I got it right that time. Did I? I think I did, Absolutely, but I've got the selective yeah. of the brain. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so obviously that's that's been hit that's been hit massively by COVID. Yeah. Is that it has, yeah, yeah. Is that what's the what's like what what's happened in that kind yeah, of situation? I mean really, really what happened is the 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 not only the feeling can't tour and, and everything, but also the all the shows closed, including Jamie Tour. Uh, Jamie Production in Australia, Jamie Production China, Jamie, all the different productions that we had starting oh. up have all had to close down. But but they are starting up again, and I'm I'm and in the West End we are. That's exciting. That's that's all happening. So oh, that's good. Fingers crossed. It, touch words. Um, there's not any reason why we can't keep it going. You know, we'll be open again soon. Beautiful. Well, I'll be there on the front row with my in my Jamie T-shirt, giving it all the lemon. So you're doing it in yeah. all those countries. I mean, that's insane, isn't it? That's amazing. Is it translated? It is translated in Korea and they're doing one in Japan this summer. Um, that'll be translated. And uh, obviously the Australian and the, the, the other productions. Are, and the, the, the UK tour is basically our West End show. It's exactly the same. It's just a touring version of it, which is a lot of fun. The, the, the UK tour is, is like one of my favourite versions of the show. I love it. What, what happens? Do you have to give it the all clear? You're like, no, I don't like it. No, they're not having it in Japanese. Well, normally, no, I don't like it. <laughs> normally, it would be like that, but, but actually, this time because of COVID, we couldn't really go and have a look. We couldn't. Luckily, the Korean production went ahead. Oh, right? that was nuts! The Korean production went ahead through the summer because they didn't really shut down. They had like proper testing and all that kind of stuff, and they just had um, to wear masks and did temperature checks. And so, this summer, in twenty twenty summer, the production in Korea went ahead, and they're coming back again to do it next year. So, um, or this year rather. Mm. So that's exciting. They just have they, we have to kind of trust that they're going to do it great and what yeah. can you do i mean it's a nice problem to have i suppose <laughs> i'm not going to complain of course it is. and what was it why because the documentary was ever so popular at the time and it was it was infamous but what made you choose that as like a why that because it's a it's a weird subject matter 
Well, it's, not a weird subject matter. It, it's a good subject matter, but it's a weird documentary to choose. It is. It's, do you know what it is? It's, it's, a, it's a hero story. It's a very fundamental, mm. you know, it's, it's got the perfect shape to turn into a kind of fairy tale type story, really. But it's, it's our version. It's a queer version of that. And it's a version of it w- mm. which is a bit fresher than, you know, the other kind. And uh, it felt like it just sang. Like it felt like I could just hear it singing as soon as we saw the documentary. We were like, this sings. This, this has that kind mm. of spirit to it already. So that's important when you're thinking about what you're going to turn into a musical. You've got to feel like it's got this, it's going to be able to sing, if you know what I mean. And then there's also... The idea of this queer kid, this this effeminate boy at the heart of a story who isn't a victim. He's not the funny sidekick. He's not like uh, he doesn't fall in love with a straight boy. He doesn't. He's none of that nonsense. He's out when we first meet him. Yeah. And I felt that was quite um, yeah. uh, a bit Rare. Yeah, transgressive almost because I thought I hadn't heard that, that yeah. storyline being set before. Like not, not as the center of the story, the driver of the story and the hero of the story mm. is queer and out and fine other things to overcome and that's to do with family and society and culture and everything around him and his, and and the world that he wants to enter but actually he hasn't got any major fundamental problems because he's gay you know he's, he's okay with that and most people are okay with that it's about how you step into the world yeah. as coming of age stories the same as any other coming of age story um you know it's, it's about how everyone else around him has to shift in order to adjust as opposed to it being his big journey. You know, uh, Jamie's journey is very simple and very small. It's everyone else who has to sort themselves out. And I think that's what's interesting about queer kids now is they step into the world. They know who they are. They know what they want to do. They know they're okay. It's everyone else has to get out the fucking way and deal with it, mm. you know, deal with their their own generational bullshit. Amen, Dan. That was bleeding gorgeous. I'll, I'll preach of that. You preach of the altar and we'll take the Holy Communion, Dan. I like it. Beautiful. So, of course, the film's coming out, hopefully, even soon. Oh, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. I still don't know when it's coming out. I'm, I mean, you might put this out, you know, in a few weeks' time and it might have already been out, but I don't know. We, we, we're, we're yet to find out so, about that, but it's very exciting because the film is magnificent. How much of a role did you have in it? Were you very deeply involved? Did you, do you step back and let other people take, go, like, take over the, like, the casting and all that malarkey? No, no, we were we were we were the the original team from the West End show from the Sheffield production brought along to actually run the film and and they they included us in everything and actually same director, I'm doing the score, same everyone, same writer. So wow. it wasn't like an ad- adaptation from by other people. It was an adaptation by us three, me, Tom, and Jonathan, who created the thing in the first place. So um, it very is is very much true to the West End show, though it is developed into a film and it is different because it's a film and it does have new songs because it's a film and it has new slightly new nuances there's things we can do in the film that we couldn't do on stage just because of the practicalities of stage yeah. and so there's 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 loads of new elements to it but it's fundamentally got the same heart and the same story and the same everything really it's it's yeah it's really true oh i can't wait to see it then i'm ever so bleeding excited so with that coming out, and that's bleeding, that's going to be a corker. So tell us about these other little projects. So you've got another couple of musicals on the go by the sounds of it. I do, yeah. I've got something which, uh, I mean, there's not much I can talk about because they're all um, at various stages of being greenlit or not greenlit, and some of them are in, in development and stuff like that. But they're new musicals. Some of them are adaptations of films that already exist, and some of them are for stage, some of them for film, and one of them is for, two of them are for television. So it... it, it I have lots of things, lots of fingers in pies, but it's only because I know that most of them will never see the light of day. I've got to keep working on things and hopefully a few things will actually break through. And I'm very passionate about all of them. I I love all of these, these stories. And, and it's sad because 
it's a very competitive world that we're in, isn't it? As creative people. And we, we have to mm. be able to be prepared oh. to put ourselves into things, knowing that not everything is going to see the light of day. And I think that you get very used to the rejection and you get very used to it. And the, the thing to do is to just keep creating and keep creating. And this last year has, has allowed me to do that. It's allowed me to just keep getting these things finished, sent off, hope for the best, fingers crossed, let's see if they see the light of day. So I've got one thing going into a theatre at the end of the year, which I'm excited about. And then a load of other stuff, which, um, like I say, we might see them, we might not, but I've, I've put a lot of love into them anyway. <laughs> oh, well, I bleed nope, so, and I'll tell you something, when it comes to rejection, I can't bear it. It weren't like this back in the day, oh, Dave. I'll tell you that for I nothing. Know. You've got to have a thick skin, but I'm like a killer whale these days. Do you know what I mean? The, reject, the rejection's bouncing off me like a bleeding squash cord, and I can't deal with it. You say you've got to handle rejection. I can't take it. I'm like Jesus of Nazareth over here carrying the cross, and I can't take it no more. I want a bleeding show. Well, I'll tell you what, the musical, the musical that you'll be our mentor with, that'll get me in Absolutely. the West End. Absolutely. Oh, guaranteed. Guaranteed. It'll be the West End of Romford, but that's somewhere. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Rotting behind the Weatherspoons. That's where you'll find the <laughs> Diane Chorley musical. 3p entry. We're all doomed. It'll just be me and Milky. Me and Milky sat there. Two-person show. Yeah, two-person show. Off our faces on White Spirit. <laughs> That's what it'll come to. Share a packet of Walker's Poppadoms. But to be honest, nothing too unusual was what we used to. <laughs> Dan, my gorgeous babe, I don't want to keep you any longer because we've already kept you for bleeding ages. Thank you so much for coming oh, on the you show. You're an me. absolute bleeding diamond. It's been so enjoyable. We can't wait to come back and see the musical because you keep saying you can have me at the musical and every time I never hear from you again. You've got to come. It's all about the rejection, Dan. I can't go back there again. (laughs) But of course, I'm looking forward to seeing the movie. You know I adore you. I'll probably come back down that studio in in Hackney again and have a little sing song. Absolutely. (laughs) Dan, I adore you. All the love from Milky. Thank you for coming on the show. You're an absolute babe and we'll see you soon. I love you both. Thank you for having me. So after each cob passed, me and Milky like to sit down and, well, we make up a song. We make up a song about the journey that the guest and I have been on together. Learning about their gorgeous life and the gorgeous things that they've done. So for you, Dan Gillespie Sells, this is a beautiful little song for you based on our meeting. We walked along on the bank of the Thames with our fists raised high in the air. The banners would swing back and forth all the time, show them that we really care. Because there's just one thing that we all need to know, just one thing that they all need to know. We belong and we're gonna stand strong for the future of the people like us. Yeah, we belong and we're gonna stand strong for the people around like us. In the communities that we knew, everybody, they weren't the same. They came from all different walks of life, different places, different worlds, different names. And we all tried our best to belong. And it doesn't help if government are telling you wrong. Because we're all a little different. Don't tell us what we are. Because in our hearts we're better than most. 
I can't remember the chorus I sang. Can you milk it? Belong. Yeah, stand strong because we belong. Yeah, stand strong because we belong. It's an ablib song, so don't get bloody carried away. Beautiful. Okay. This has been the chat with Chorley Cod Past, hosted by me, Diane Chorley, the Duchess of Canby. In the background, you can hear the gorgeous music of my lovely Milky playing along and strumming his song to the beat of the best of the lot. We'd like to say a big thank you to Chris Jones for producing this episode and of course a beautiful shout out to Hattrick Productions who put this podcast on. This is a Hattrick podcast. You have a beautiful evening my gorgeous babes or a beautiful day or a beautiful night and we'll see you soon my beautiful gorgeous babes. Goodbye. Wow. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.